Okay, joining me today is none other than Coach Cad. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast is, is because when I first started working as a PT just over a year ago, I believe you were one of the first coaches that I ended up following on Instagram. And mainly the reason, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because your content is amazing. I mean, yeah, it's actually got the right blend of humor and fitness. Like the other day I was showing my buddies uh, this video that you made on TikTok of some for the girl and she's like got hot which she's got she's putting hot water over the hockey and you're having a what is it you're having a sip of your tea and all of a sudden you start cringing I pretty much almost had the same reaction that's no no I, I wouldn't do that to a poor food like that you know <laughs> anyway man how you doing mate I'm mate I'm really good thanks thanks for having me on the show um yeah, look, it's been an interesting game, the um, an interesting beast social media, as I'm sure you know, you know, a lot of good sides, a lot of bad sides. Um, TikTok's been really interesting because it's it's obviously a lot different to my normal content um, and you can't go quite as deep on things, but people generally tend to tend to like the upfront reactions. And, you know, with TikTok, there's a lot of different things that give you a lot of different reactions. So it, it always keeps you on your toes a little bit. But thank you, mate. I appreciate that saying that about my content. You know, um, I try and put out as much stuff as I can there. But I also um, I also sometimes get caught in 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 trying to figure out who I'm, I'm creating content for. Like I love obviously diving deep on the technical side of things, but I also try and bring it back to, you know, what's actually usable and practical for people as, as much as possible. So looking forward to diving into some stuff. Awesome. So that's what I wanted to ask you like straight away. Like, you know, TikTok's kind of just exploded within the last year or so. I, I reckon a lot of it had to do with uh, COVID and uh, when everyone was in isolation at home making videos. So that's something we will talk about. But I wanted to ask you, uh, I personally do not use TikTok or do I have TikTok as asking someone who's used it. Has it actually benefited you as a strength coach in terms of a business standpoint? Yeah, so actually it, it TikTok, I never thought I'd say this. TikTok has been the best thing I ever did for my business. Wow. Um, and, you know, especially when I started posting, initially I started posting some stuff on TikTok and I was like, oh, you know, I can just upload like an, an exercise video a day or something. And then, you know, I did what a lot of us do and I just didn't post for like a year. And I came back to it at the start of COVID um, and started actually seeing, there was a few guys, like I don't know if you've come across like this guy in Australia called Brock Fit. Um, and he's a good, you know, a, another Australian just on, on the app, like just app, spitting absolute banter, right? And it was nice to see a couple of Aussies on there, especially in the fitness space. And, I, and had, they had really good followers. And I was like, wow, people are actually on this app. You know, young kids, especially are on this app, genuinely looking for, um, for as much information as they could find, right? Um, so that kind of inspired me to dive into it a little bit deeper. Um, and like I said, it, it has been a bit of a mixed journey of, of some of the good and some of the bad, but um, overwhelmingly it's been great. Like it's, it's, it's probably not related directly to um, a huge amount of clients because the majority of the niche isn't who I'm really working with. You know, it's a lot of young, quite young um, kids on there who are just looking for information. Um, but I have definitely gotten a lot of, I've, I've definitely gotten a lot of inquiries. I've definitely actually gotten a few clients from um, TikTok who have gone on to be some of my best clients, most dedicated clients, you know, like, like you, you, a lot of the people you'd probably work with as well, young guys, um, and, and from an athletic background are some of the most dedicated athletes you'll get or de dedicated clients that you'll get. Um, 
and then it's been really good for exposure and like I'm really working on on now building YouTube because I feel like I can provide a lot more valuable uh, valuable information on on YouTube and that's kind of where my passion is you know the the, the 15 second reaction videos are fun on TikTok but um, I really like you know Instagram and YouTube allows me to to have a lot more in depth and, and nuanced conversation with um, with cl potential clients or I'm um, just you know providing as much information as I can. That's that's actually good to hear because considering uh now social media has really exploded a lot with businesses and i've had like you know social media marketing experts come on and then they talk about why uh social media has now become such a valuable tool business like or how would you rate like social media for you like is it something you want to focus on a little bit more in terms of gaining clients or is it just something you rather do as a hobby yeah, well, that's actually a really good question. That's one that I've had to ask myself a lot of times over the past like year since um, since COVID really hit. But but to be honest, um, like for me, I, I I'm entirely online now. Um, you know, like we were saying kind of before we started, I'm I'm in Denmark now. Um, I might be in Croatia in a few weeks, and then hopefully back to Denmark or Germany, depending on how visas go. <laughs> um, so the the shift into online business has been has been amazing for me. Um, and so these days, I've got a couple of different business projects that I'm kind of working on. You know, I obviously still work one on one with clients. Um, I've got a group of other co coaches called the Fit Talkers, who who we run a kind of a membership group coaching program, which I'm really excited about. Um, but social media is definitely taking on more of a life of its own for me i think within the next few years i'll definitely be primarily in education and, and content creation um I, I am taking on a handful of full of clients but um it's definitely not definitely not the direction i think i'm, I'm going to see over the next few years especially so yeah what about yourself have you found um have you found the the social media side kind of take on its own life uh, during covid uh yes and no okay so personally i've only been working as a coach for just over a year uh so I'll give you a little bit of my background i just graduated i graduated from university uh last year and since then i've been working on full-time strength coach it and also having a lot of other jobs on the side for me personally because of the way that my system's running my gym uh, most of my clients come in through the door i've had a few people uh come to me online i have not got any online clients whatsoever as of now because I'm, not, I'm still learning which is one of the questions we're sort of going to ask you about uh, later on but mainly right now it's just about establishing a strong client base establishing a niche and then keeping a business schedule going and eventually then I can start to grow up because what I've been told is and I don't know if you would agree with this but for some reason most PTs uh, like the average lifespan is usually two years for some reason. Like if you make it past the first two years, then you know you're officially involved in the job. Uh, do you agree with that statement? Well, so a little bit, a little bit of myself. I actually used to teach the personal training and massage course. Um, so, you know, I went through all my education, uh, went and worked as a coach for a long time, um, came back and did my massage uh, qualification and then started teaching the, uh, the massage and personal training qualification at the Institute of Fitness. Um, and so something that I could really see when I was teaching the course was that already from the day you kind of walk through the door, you know who's going to be successful in the industry long term and you know who's not. 
right? And the biggest thing is not how jacked someone is. It's not how passionate they are, but it's whether or not they're treating it like a business. And so often you see all these people, you know, um, and I, I assume this is a little bit of, of, of your background as well. Like I, I, you know, started off in strength. Like I sort of started off um, in sports, you know, I played basketball and I played footy, um, I played volleyball, and then that kind of transitioned into the weights room. Um, and that's a really natural and really healthy transition for people into the fitness industry. But but you're not actually with the exception of you, uh, you're probably not going to work with your dream clients, right? And the it's not enough to just be someone who's excited about sport if you want to be a good coach you actually need to learn hey this is how i'm going to train the 99 percent of the people who don't have a sporting background who want to improve their health um and you actually needed to approach it with a business mindset like at the end of the day it is going to be about like you know exactly like you said it's gonna be about putting in a lot of work i keep going to swear i'm not sure if i can it's going to be putting in a lot of work right <laughs> and then it's going to be about you know grinding long hours and it's going to be about getting your financial systems in place and it's going to be about how many sales you can actually convert um and how many people you're actually having sales conversations with and no one really wants to have those conversations because especially on social media we want to come across like we're you know we're doing it for the love um, and the passion which we definitely are but at the end of the day it's also nice to have love and passion for what you do but also be able to pay your bills um, and I think that's that's something you know I don't know if you've experienced this as well but it's something that yeah, I struggle with a lot is actually you know I've been a coach for 10 years now um, but still, when I'm in a conversation with a client and it comes to like, you know, are you willing to pay for my services? It's, it's still that it's still a completely different conversation we kind of have to have with ourselves as well, because um, it's, it's not an easy part of the job. No, 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 definitely my, my money. Uh, well, one thing personally for myself, when I uh, actually started this, that it, it doesn't really sometimes for some coaches, like, it doesn't really matter how knowledgeable you are how many accreditations you have, how many like years of study you've done, like if you got it. Talking about money and negotiating is a complete other skill on its own. And that's something that I've come to learn the hard way because like, you know, they're saying like almost everything in life could be a negotiation and you make all these decisions within a day. Like when it comes to money, that's where a lot of people definitely do struggle. So. And uh, if not to get like too personal, but like what's uh, if, if you were for someone who's been coaching for 10 years and a lot of my uh, audience are people who are involved in the fitness industry as well. Like what's some advice you can give someone when it comes to like closing that deal with a client? Yeah, look, um, the, the biggest thing that I would say is that it really, it really has to come from um, just playing a numbers game. Like at the end of the day, it, it's not going to come down to what what you're doing, any kind of magic. And, you know, there are there are different, definitely business coach and sales coach that you can go to that will like teach you, you know, different quote unquote techniques. But at the end of the day, if, if you're relying on a technique to close a deal with someone who you're going to be developing a long-term relationship with as a client, it's probably not a great strategy, right? You know, if you're just trying to sell solar panels to someone, all you need them to do is sign on the line, you're done. Right. But if you're actually wanting to be the, the good and the bad thing about the industry that we're in is that you actually want to you actually care about your clients. Right. And a lot of times they will become 
almost if not friends of yours during that journey because you're going to be spending a lot of time with them you're going to be going through a lot of different emotional kind of roller coasters with them as well um so i i don't think um i don't think anyone should fall into that trap of trying to to trick people or do anything too crazy when it comes to marketing um i don't know if this is good fitness advice but i've always been quite upfront with my session prices like i've always charged a reasonable like probably towards the higher end um for at least for the environment i'm in um but i'm always up up front about that and you know some people can't afford it a lot of people aren't willing to put it high enough priority to afford it um and that's an important conversation to have like if, if you're working with a client and they can really really want to work with you but if their number one priority is going on a holiday then they're probably not going to do what it takes, right? Um, and it's about having that open, honest conversation going, okay, well, here's where your priorities seem like they are right now. Does that sound right to you? And if they say, look, I'm just not willing to invest in myself right now, then it's not your person. Like, I think we, we beat ourselves up a lot about, you know, trying to, um, you know, you, you can drive yourself crazy trying to figure out those, like, closing conversations or whatever but at the end of the day i mean if, if the person's not right for you then go out chat to someone else get yourself out there on social media whatever you need to do to um to just have a sit down with another person because you'll also know this as well like you get some client and you'll go back and this is one of the downsides about tiktok is you get a lot of people who want information for free right there are a lot of young kids i totally get it i've been there um and they want to just message you a million questions but they're not willing to, to actually pay for anything right but then you get someone else come along. I just started a, a client recently who's a young um, young AFL player from Melbourne. Um, and he messaged me out of the blue. He saw me on some kind of social media, messaged me, messaged me out of the blue, said, I'm going to sign up, bang, 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 put through a payment. We started. He's been hands down one of my best clients. Fills in all of his sheets. Everything's on time. He's paying, you know, he's, he's just, everything's perfect. Pays on time, does what he needs to do, executes. And that's the thing is, is really the, the clients that you have to chase are probably not the clients you want. But if you're putting in the work for long enough, you'll draw in the people that you want, right? They'll come to you and they'll be the best clients that you'll have. Good answer. So let's rewind the clock a little bit. You're entirely online, okay? Uh, you got say, you said you've got a handful of clients that you train in person. So let's give us a look. Can you give us like a little bit of a a little bit of an insight to your background and how you got to this point where you're completely online. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, so I've been a coach, yeah, like I said, for kind of 10 years now, like that, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm getting on an age, but every time that number goes up, it kind of tells me, um, you know, it, it's happening. Um, so I started, you know, like I said, I was playing, um, primarily volleyball and basketball. I used to play some AFL, but I wasn't any good at it. So that was just mucking around. Um, and I kind of got to this point at about like, you know, 15 or 16, where I was playing in all these big man positions in sport. Uh, but I wasn't big anymore. Like I stopped growing all the competition around me kept growing. And I was like, well, this isn't going to work out. Right. So, um, so I kind of got into the weight room and, and tried to get an advantage elsewhere no one else they were all tall and skinny so i was like at least if i can put on some size i'll i'll have some some weight to throw around um and it kind of took off from there like i i started writing programs for my friends we started working out the local footy club gym at lunchtime and i i started to very quickly realize that i was more interested in the in the intelligent design of a program more so than I was about necessarily executing the program, right? And that's a good sign that I'm probably not going to be a great athlete because 
I wasn't that excited to do the work. I was more excited to, to think about some of the theory behind it. Right. So, um, so that's kind of where it took off. And I was actually at the point of, you know, kind of 17 or 18 looking at applying for university and, and I've always been really interested in kind of biology and the sciences. So the options for me, I was, I was looking at either psychology or parasitology, which is actually the study of like parasites, um, which is one of my favorite little nerd out topics. And I used to post a lot of that stuff on my social media. I haven't talked about obscure biology facts in a while, um, which was actually the direction I was going to take my TikTok entirely at the start. So I'll have to come back to some of the weird parasite facts soon. Um, but yeah, so I was going to do parasitology or psychology, but I looked at both of those careers and I was like, realistically, I didn't like the end goal. You know, I, I like the idea of psychology, but to spend your entire time working one-on-one with clients, sitting down, talking about feelings, essentially, um, I'm sure it's very rewarding, but I, I, it didn't really see myself wanting to do that for the rest of my career, right? Um, and then parasitology is, is even worse because you either end up completely in a lab staring through a microscope or you end up in the backwater of Borneo or Kenya or something, cutting open a frog and counting the amount of different kind of worms inside it. And like, I love travel, but I, I like, you know, traveling to Japan where you've got toilets that talk to you uh, while you're doing what you need to do and vending machines that feed you beer, not, not like setting up in a, in a mosquito infected parasite ridden village somewhere so um so I, I stuck with PT right that was what I was kind of doing as a passion anyway um I followed that through uh and 10 years later I'm, I'm kind of here I mean we can dig into that process as much as you as you want to um but yeah essentially it was I got started like everyone I did my my 12-week course that we kind of have to do I think there's lots of different options these days but I did my 12-week or 16-week whatever in-person course and then just got chucked out into a into a big chain gym and kind of had to swim for the surface like a lot of us. Now, obviously, you've got the credentials, working 10 years in industry, so time-based. So the next part of the podcast, I just want to ask you about some questions about some of the stuff like you put out there. Now, recently, you put out a really good post about blood uh, flow restriction training. Uh, I'll confess I've never used or never done blood flow restriction training. It is not something I'm educated on, on a little or much or no very lack of. So oh, this is personal. This is a question for a person gain or some from my viewers. But can you give us like an in-depth breakdown to what is blood flow restriction training and is it a valuable tool? Yeah, absolutely. So Blood flow restriction is a really interesting one. And actually, this is a sentence I probably don't get to say very often. Uh, but TikTok taught me a little bit about it recently. So there was a few other creators that kind of put out videos saying how, um, you know, pointing out some of the, they were basically anti-blood flow restriction. Um, and obviously, as a response to that, I made a YouTube video that I wanted to do anyway, that I've been planning. But um, yeah, but I had to really take a, a pretty good deep dive into, into some of the literature we have. Um, and so blood flow, blood flow training is, is really interesting. So um, the, the basic premise is that you will use a tourniquet. And like, I don't recommend people do this too much at home. You can buy um, special uh, blood flow restriction cuffs for it. And you can actually get quite advanced ones where you can track the amount of pressure. Um, and if people are going to do it, I definitely recommend looking at that because then there's, there's no risk for error, right? 
Um, but what you basically do is you attach a tourniquet quite high up on a limb. So whether that's your arms or your legs, um, and it cuts off or restricts blood flow down to that limb. Right. Um, and if, if you guys have done any, if anyone listening kind of has done biology, they know that blood flows away from the heart into the limb and then circulates back towards the heart. Um, and so what happens by restricting the amount of um, blood flow back to the heart, we actually uh, it, we create what's called a, a local hypoxic environment where you've basically got, yeah, you've got this blood going into the muscle. But as you're contracting the muscle, we've got a buildup of the, the metabolites of the, the waste product from muscle contraction um, that is unable to leave that limb, right? Um, and to, so to put that in, in context where, uh, where people, you know, athletes have probably experienced this before, that burning feeling that you get um, when you're contracting a muscle, you know, we, we, we talk about it, we, we call it lactic acid, but it's actually kind of an accumulation of... Um, of metabolites and hydrogen ions and things like that, but it gives you that burning feeling. Um, and then as soon as you stop your set, all of that rushes back to the heart and it can be filtered by the body. Um, so, or yeah, yeah, basically it runs around the body and it can be filtered by the body. So using the restriction bands, it's also called occlusion training, blood flow occlusion training. Um, it basically traps those metabolites in the muscle um, and it forces the muscle to, to, I guess, continue to contract and to continue to work even in a, um, in a pretty limited capacity, right? So basically it's, it's essentially like, you know, if you tried to run your car on a really small amount of fuel. Now, unfortunately, this is not how it works, but if you do that for long enough, then theoretically the body starts to learn how to be more and more efficient with, um, with the fuel that it has right? Um, obviously, the car analogy falls down a little bit there, but I hope that kind of helps put things in perspective, right? Um, so that's the concept. And, and the theory there is that when you're actually, and it's not necessarily to do with performance, um, but when you trap the metabolites uh, into the, the body, we tend to see this hypertrophy signaling, this muscle growth signaling, um, kind of upregulated. So, you know, if uh, for most of the time, if you're doing a set of 10, the first five to six reps are going to be pretty easy, right? If you're doing the next kind of three or four reps after that, that's when it starts to burn. That's where it starts to get hard. They're the most kind of quote unquote effective reps. Okay. So what the blood flow restriction does is it basically brings down your threshold for effective reps. Um, let's say you pick up a lightweight and you could do that weight for 30 reps, right? It's going to get hard. Maybe at rep 22, it's going to start to burn. But if you actually tried to take a really lightweight to failure, it would take a lot of work. So what the, the blood flow restriction does is it brings down that, that threshold to failure. So if that weight would normally take you 30 reps to go to failure, all of a sudden at 10 reps, it starts to get really hard. And then maybe 12 reps or 13 reps, it starts to get really, really, really hard. And maybe you're going to actual failure at around 15 reps instead of 30. And that's essentially where the value of blood flow restriction training is in, um, in bringing down that threshold with lighter weights 
enabling you to get the same kind of muscle growth, theoretically get the same kind of muscle growth from a lightweight for 15 reps as a lightweight for 30 reps. Does that kind of make sense? It does make sense. So that was a really, really good in-depth uh, was it discussion uh, discussion to what it is now have you experimented with uh, this blood flow restriction training yeah so i've done a little bit of myself so there's there's a couple of things that are worth having in this conversation and i just kind of touched on this a little bit like i said in the um in the video i did uh i included some of the some of the tiktoks that are being made out there um and some of the you know common pros and cons about these right so so something that is worth knowing is that using blood flow restriction for muscle growth is really quite theoretical at this point okay um bodybuilders have been doing it for years for arm training but we know that it gets you a sick pump right and that's great but we also don't know that that we, we also know that that's not going to necessarily actually create extra growth so if there's a if there's young guys listening to this in particular um they're, they're already probably in the gym doing heaps and heaps of you know crazy drop sets and stuff to get a pump um and thinking that's going to make them grow now that's not always the case um and same for girls you know they'll do females generally get marketed like you know glute finishes and stuff where they'll do all these like hip pump um kind of stuff to get blood flow into their into their butt and it or the booty and it um it does feel like it's working but it doesn't necessarily mean it's actually changing right so we come back to blood flow restriction it gets you a sick pump that's awesome um that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to grow from it so what we've seen from from a, uh, an uh, academic standpoint what we've seen in the literature is that blood flow restriction is very effective for growing muscle at low load so you can use a lightweight and get a reasonable amount of muscle growth now for people who are coming back from an injury let's say they've shattered their elbow or they've dislocated you know they've done their acl or something you know like especially in your industry i'm sure you come up with or your your, your niche in the industry i'm sure you've seen some horrific in this, uh, injuries that luckily most of us don't have to deal with the elbows and things from people who potentially didn't tap out in time <laughs> but um the the good thing about blood flow restriction is we can put an injured joint through a quite a good workout without having to load it up and put more stress on it. okay now the conversation um that i talked about in my youtube video is is basically that we know that Right. So that works. But it's, it's really important that we don't take studies that are done, you know, in injured populations in a, in a physiotherapist's office and then try and extrapolate that to the average person walking into the gym because we're dealing with two very different environments. We're dealing with people who need two very different um, stimuli to to grow muscle. So while we don't necessarily have we have we don't have a lot of studies showing direct hypertrophy in athletes or, or bodybuilders we don't have any studies on bodybuilders yet which is going to be kind of the final question that before we can conclusively say yes or no this is this is useful um but we do have some some early studies in athletes we've got powerlifters who um we're able to use lightweight front squats to, to hypertrophy, you know, their type two muscle fibers in their quads. Um, we've got rugby players who were able to increase their muscle using blood flow restriction. Um, so we've got a theoretical basis for it, but we do know that 
it's still in its early days. So yeah. if, if people are looking at doing blood flow restriction, I definitely recommend that they they keep it to they include it as part of their workout. But I also don't think they should ever kind of fully you know don't don't scrap the weights that you're doing now and move completely into into blood flow restriction. Awesome. So it can be used as a tool. It's in early days. Has there's some there's some study out there, but it's not yet proven to be an actual tool for building muscle growth. If you're looking at this from a bodybuilding perspective, okay. Yeah. So what I what I would say is um you know and and from my own experience using it, which was sorry I had to come back to your original kind of question um. Mm-hmm. I've actually been using it when I'm in lockdown, for instance, okay. to change the emphasis of the muscle I'm working. So you, you, anyone who's been through a lockdown, I think Perth, you guys had all of like a six hour lockdown or whatever you guys had to, had yeah. to go through. We had a um, um, week, week lockdown. Yeah. It was over one case. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. They, they, there you go. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's funny. Cause you know, I, like I, I was in Melbourne for the first lockdown and managed to avoid that. And then as soon as I got to Denmark, we went to lockdown. So I've been in lockdown for, I think like four months well, four months now and then the three or four months of Melbourne. So um, I think I didn't time my my move over here, you know, trying to be in a long distance relationship and also move over line the global pandemic um, is, is probably not a great move, but you live and you learn. Um, so I've been locked down for a long time and to try and uh, to try and like use that, I've been, I've been doing some different, to try and make the best of that, I've been using um, some different methods. So for me, one of the things that I'll do at the moment is I will, do you know some different kind of push-up variations um some you know uh pike and handstand push-ups and things like that and then towards the end of my workout to finish off i'll put the blood flow restriction bands on my um on my arms and then i'll do some some different methods and basically bang out a lot of push-ups at the end right and so by occluding the blood flow to my arms i'm making that my limiting factor you know if i could do 30 push-ups to um and I, I posted a clip about this on instagram um so you might have seen it but you know if i can do 30 push-ups yeah. before they start to get hard then the blood flow restriction means that by the time i've done 12 push-ups my triceps are on fire um and so by the time i get to 15 i i'm go- already going to failure um i'm understanding that my chest and you know my chest my shoulders my back and all those supporting muscles are probably still going to be fine but I'm making sure that the reason I can't do any more push-ups is because my triceps are fully fatigued. Mm. Um, so with a bit of intelligent kind of playing around, you know, if you're in a gym setting, then it's probably more simple. You can just slap them on your arms and go for it. Um, I do know a lot of people, you know, and a lot of the old school guys use um, blood flow restriction on your legs. Um, I haven't tried that. That seems pretty brutal to go through to cut off your whole leg and then jump on a, you know, 50 reps set of leg press. But um, I haven't tried that 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 just yet. Uh, I see. Okay, so it's it's definitely giving me some benefit. It's giving you some benefit. It's got some it's a good tool, and it's still early days. And then, but the stuff the literature is still out there. Now, moving on from that, uh, there was another post I really really wanted to talk about specifically when you posted. Uh, what is it? This was the tweet that I just brought up, which said, "Until you learn to properly fully lengthen and shorten your lats." Don't expect your back to grow. Now, uh, I just wanted you to give us some insight. To what do you mean by properly, fully lengthening, shortening your lats? Like, because when it comes to back training, uh, you know, uh, some t- I usually uh, like to focus. If you're someone who's new into back training, focus on posture. You know, don't slouch your shoulders. 
get used to retracting your shoulders and depressing them into a stabilized position. And then of course, because that way, you know, it minimizes that uh, rock over or that swing you see a lot of people doing. Sometimes when they do, let's say for example, uh, like a is it bent over rows or when they're doing uh, seated rows. So what, what, um, what's, uh, what's your philosophy to that uh, back training then? these are really good questions and they they are um they're they're deep they're big questions as well so like even blood flow restriction i was like how do i it's it's a big topic i'm trying to go into it but um but not too far into it so if i I go too far down a rabbit hole feel free to pull me back or the other way if um feel free to, to keep us going down there um Right. So my overarching philosophy, and obviously this changes a lot, right? Every, every year, every six months, every three months, I'll completely have to have to re-update my view on, on everything. And this has changed a lot. And this has been kind of the culmination of a lot of years of, um, of trying different things, right? Um, but these days, I would very much like, if, if, if someone's reasonably new to the gym and they're listening to this, I want to, I want them to focus on moving their bones, not their muscles. Um, excuse me. That is an interesting concept, right? But if we start to look at the actual joint structure, um, we start to understand a lot of the muscles that lay on top of it, right? If you can understand more about your anatomy, how your entire, you know, how where where muscles attach, where bones go, um, the rotation of bones. You'll learn so much more about yourself and how you can move. Um, and something that I always work with my clients, you know, when I'm working one-on-one with a client, a lot of our session is me teaching them about their own anatomy more than it is about teaching them how I want them to do an exercise. Because when you understand how your own body moves, um, you, you're able to achieve those outcomes in the most efficient way. Right. And, and you probably know this as well from, especially from a martial arts standpoint, right? You can spend a long, long time telling someone how to throw, how to, how to you know, throw a kick, but until they actually, until they actually understand the weight of their own leg, the length of their own leg, the spacing between the opponent, which part of the body to initiate the rotation from, um, that's going to be hard. Like you can teach someone how to kick, but if they're holding both of their arms out in front of them while they're trying to do it, it's not going to be a very powerful kick, right? So a lot of these movements have to come from the person understanding their own body. Um, and so that's kind of my overarching philosophy. When it comes to that post specifically, um, I find back training to be one of the most complicated things for people because there's a lot of different structures going on. The shoulder blades and their relationship to the body and the rib cage and the expansion and compression of the rib cage um, is, is very, is very complex. There's a lot of different moving parts, right? Um, but if someone was to pull up and if someone is you know, watching this on YouTube or something, by all means, open a different tab and, and have a look at this while, while they're doing it. But if you look at the anatomy of the back and you look at where the lats actually go, um, it's often quite different to the picture that most people actually see. The lats don't connect onto your shoulder blades. They connect onto the upper arm um, and they attach in this kind of, you know, they attach even as low through the fascia to, to the bottom of the hip. So if you think from, you know, the back underneath of your arm down to the top of your hip, we've got this massive sheet of muscle um, and that's able to, to, to use a huge amount of force 
but most of the movements that we think the lats do they actually don't do very well and you see one of the biggest mistakes and and again i kind of posted a youtube video on this because i think it's important um we we don't actually see the lat doing a very good good job of getting our elbow behind us the lat's primary job is to essentially bring your elbow down to your hip okay so there's a lot more nuance to it in that than that but to, to go through it really briefly like this understanding that your goal with a row is not to move the weight as far as possible it's to actually fully shorten the lat muscle and it's the same thing like if we look at like bicep curls so many people spend their time thinking about okay well my goal here in a bicep curl is to lift the weight off the ground and that puts in your head this picture of okay well when i start it's quite low it's down by my thigh at the end, I want it to be high off the ground towards my head. And that move, that, that mindset of this is what a bicep curl is supposed to do um, ruins your form. Like there is no way to do that in a way that's going to effectively load the bicep because the bicep doesn't lift a weight off the ground. Your bicep closes the elbow joint. That's, that's pretty much all it does, right? So if you can then go, okay, well, my goal with the bicep curl is not to lift a weight it's to fully open and close the elbow joint. All of a sudden we can start to build a better picture around what that muscle actually does. Okay. Now there's a lot of different movements and a lot of different exercises and muscles. So it gets a bit more complicated than that. But if we look at, you know, most knee flexion extension exercises, like your leg extensions, and your hamstring curls, right? If people stop thinking about trying to lift the weight, you know, trying to move the weight along the machine and they actually think about extending and closing the knee joint they're going to automatically get better form. They're going to get better results. Um, same for a bicep curl, same for a tricep extension. Um, even, you know, pressing movements, pulling movements as well, especially, especially pressing movements is a big one for, for young guys in particular. Um, we're not, they're not thinking about, okay, what joints and what muscles are actually working through this movement. They're thinking about how can I push the heaviest weight possible from, you know, from position X to position um, why? And, and I think that's, it's quite a flawed way of looking at things. And, and it is going to make learning a technique a lot harder than approaching it from that kind of anatomy based model to start. Good. That's a very good way of answering that question. It's a big, deep philosophy to back training. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just for me as a PT, I've always stressed the importance of the posterior chain and a lot of it actually has come from the back. You know, I talk about, sorry, that's, uh, I talk about the um, importance of making sure that you've got a strong posture because posture is something that's really is a massive tool when it comes to martial arts and also making sure you have a strong, like a strong upper back and then strong lower back and making sure again, when you're actually doing a back exercise, you try and go for that squeeze and try and actually, rather than use momentum, actually try and focus on stretching the muscle. So that's actually a really good insight. The next uh, main point that I wanted to bring up was uh, you posted a really good, uh, what is it, thing, uh, so put up a really good post on Instagram about what you know as the 3-7 method. Uh, now, having to read for this, I thought, wow, you've really got, you've really got it nailed down. So if you could give us, I, I know it, it, try not to go down the rabbit hole too much, but if you could give us like a really short 
explanations of what is this three seven method and why it is that you promote it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the three seven method, and this is actually it's it's really cool that you're asking these questions. I've actually done. Um, I recorded a podcast about that last week. Um, and so I'm, I'm launching a podcast with a friend of mine who's, um, he's a personal trainer. He's, he's been a coach for almost as long, like uh, as long as I have. Um, he's also studying, studied biomedicine and now doing pharmacology. So um, it's a really interesting kind of deep dive. And I'm really enjoying taking a different approach to kind of some of these things. But we actually, we covered the um, the three seven method as a, as a standalone episode. Um, and what we found was that in order to properly cover it, we do need to go down a lot of rabbit holes. <laughs> so this is, that was a good training for this podcast, basically. Um, cool. So one of the important things just to, to kind of understand when it comes to the three, seven method um, is if we just take a really quick little brief look at the kind of mechanisms of hypertrophy. Um, so we've got and, and I, that that sounds pretty fancy but for you guys playing at home it's basically like what actually makes muscle grow um and there's a simple answer for that that we always get but there's actually like obviously a lot of depth in that question so there's two main drivers of hypertrophy and one is mechanical tension um and that is basically that's it's kind of always going to be our prime goal and our prime driver of of muscle growth which is actually how do you lift away a weight in a way that actually translates that tension into a muscle? And kind of, we talked about that before, right? Um, a lot of athletes will just focus on moving away as explosively as possible. And that may have some use for, for athletes and, and that may be an important part of training. But if you actually want the muscle to grow, you're probably not, you're probably better off not doing it as explosively and actually focusing on lengthening and shortening the muscle like we were talking about, right? So you're actually putting that muscle, um, that one muscle under as much tension as possible. That's mechanical tension. We've also got metabolic stress, which is kind of what we talked about in the blood flow restriction, right? Um, and metabolic stress is when you're, it's, it's more of a chemical reaction to a degree um, where you're forcing those metabolites, that, that waste product that's building up in a muscle um, we actually have pretty good evidence to suggest that that does actually result in, uh, in quite a lot of muscle growth as well. So we've got the actual mechanical tension, which we can think of as a bit more of a physical response. Um, and then we've got the metabolic stress, which is kind of more of the chemical byproduct element, right? Um, and that's just a really quick intro. But if we look at the three, seven method, and this is a really interesting study that I think came out at the end of like 2019 and actually... It, it's an interesting one because it shook things up a little bit. Um, but basically what they did is they took, um, they took young males and they made them do bicep curls. And one group did uh, eight sets of six reps and the other group did what's called the three, seven method. So they did three reps, rested for 15 seconds. They did four reps, rested for 15 seconds, did five reps. They did, they did that on and on until they got to seven reps. Um, now that is a little bit interesting to wrap our heads around. Um, but I think it, I don't know about you, but I think the first things that come might come to my mind are, um, that's going to burn. <laughs> right. Um, and there are lots of different methods out there similar to this, but, um, it's, it's kind of that ascending method means that each set that you do gets a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder. Right. 
Um, so that's the premise. And what they found was they actually found that the group doing the three seven method. Um, now keep in mind, they only did two sets, but the other group did eight sets. Okay. So each set of the three seven method probably took quite a long time. I think they were like two minutes in total. Um, they did two sets and that group actually got uh, 75%, I think roughly about 75% more muscle group growth than the other group. And the reason this caused a bit of a stir is because that's a very significant difference, right? There are not that's many huge. things. That's yeah, huge. Um, there are not many things in the fitness industry that make that kind of promises and actually can deliver on it. So to actually see a study showing 75% improved muscle growth is crazy, right? Um, but it's important to put that in perspective. So this is one of the things, like some of the things we went through in our podcast is um, it's a lot like some of the results we see with blood flow restriction training is that, yes, that's a really promising result. That's a really interesting result. Um, but if we look at from an academic standpoint, we've got to look at what it was studied against. And so the other protocol for biceps was eight sets with six reps. And I don't know about you, but that seemed like a very odd set rep scheme to choose for bicep training. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever given my clients something like that. I don't know if I've got many clients who would be willing to do eight sets of six bicep curls. <laughs> Um, and, you know, in a UFC or in a fighting context specifically, there's, there's very little carryover argument that you can kind of make for something like that. So, so we're, we're probably comparing against not a great idea, uh, not a great standard. The reason they did that from a study standpoint is because the, the volume was equated. Both, both um, groups did about 50 reps. So from a scientific standpoint, it makes sense. But from an actual practical standpoint, We've got to ask the question, you know, is this actually, is this actually going to be all that it's cracked up to be? So <clears throat> the, we would like to say, you know, it's this massive, this massive change to the fitness industry and we should all do our training like this forever and we'll all grow 75% bigger because then we'd all be walking around looking like bloody monsters. Um, but unfortunately, it's, it's probably one of those things like blood flow restriction training that is a completely valid way of, of growing muscle. Um, and it's probably going to be, a. if you give it a crack, it's bloody hard. That was one of the things that I used to do. I, I tried to do with, <laughs> with the blood flow restriction bands, right? I actually, I tried, I put them on and then I tried to do it with push-ups. Um, and I, I didn't get particularly far into it, right? That got pretty spicy pretty quickly. So, so I gave, I gave up on that and just stuck to one or the other, the blood flow restriction. Um, but for me, and, and it, for me, it raises a more interesting question, right? It's easy to get caught up in. And the reason I wanted to make that post on my Instagram was it's easy to get caught in the flash of the headline of, okay, 75% more muscle. But if we actually look at the practical conversation, I think, it's, I think what's more interesting is that for me, it raises that question around, okay, when you are training, how much is mechanical tension and how much is the pump, right? How much is that metabolic stress? And I, I don't think I'd be too far off the mark to say it's, it's always going to be, it's almost always going to be mechanical tension as our primary concern. But this, this and blood flow restriction training is a nod to say, you know what, maybe the pump is actually more valuable than we, we sometimes give it credit for. You know, maybe the bros were right in saying that getting a pump does actually lead to some initial growth. Um, because we've also seen, you know, we've seen kind of powerlifters go, 
the other way where they're only doing heavy weights and some of them are jacked, right? Um, but especially over the last few years, if we look at the rise of something like power building, and I don't know if, if the listeners have kind of come across this term where, where people are trying to train like powerlifters but also want to get big, um, it, it, it is trying to play all the games, right? So a lot of professional powerlifters are not going to be doing that. But it is about, you know, we're starting to see that even the best powerlifters in the world do get a lot of value from still training like a bodybuilder sometimes. Mm-hmm. And for athletes as well, um, you know, the majority of your off-season training, in my opinion, should be training like a bodybuilder. You don't want to do so much that you lose your your touch with your with your sport or your skill. Um, but I think for everyone, no matter what discipline you're in, um, you're going to get some value from training like a bodybuilder, trying to put on some size, and then learning how to use that new strength and power into your chosen sport. Uh, now, that was a very, very good in-depth. Now, unfortunately, that's all the time I've got for right now. I kind of just walked in. But one thing I just want to put up is that one thing is, uh, so my uh, my viewers obviously going to want to view this podcast. So what I'll do is if you can send me that link and I will put that in the description of this uh, video as well. And man, I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time to come out. I uh, appreciate you and your busy schedule and all the best over in Denmark. And then eventually, hopefully, depending on, we'll catch up some point down the track for another in-depth uh, discussion. Uh, so once again, man, just want to say thank you very much. And is there anything you would like to finish this podcast on? Uh, no, mate. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me on. Um, I, I That was really good to, to come on and, and throw a whole bunch of words at everyone in a very short period of time. So some really good questions there. I hope people have, um, have managed to take some value away from that. Of course, if anyone's got any questions, um, feel free to message me and I'll do my best to, um, to go through things a bit more in depth. Um, look, you can check me out on, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm everywhere on, on the internet. You can find yeah. me on, um, on Instagram. I've got, I think 50,000 followers on, on TikTok. Um, I'm really working on YouTube and trying to put out a lot of, um, really detailed content there. So if people do have questions on anything we've talked about today, um, I've probably got a video on it on YouTube or I've got a video coming. Um, but I'm also potentially moving more into working with esport players and esport athletes as well so if there is anyone listening who's in the gaming side of things um shoot me a message on instagram because um i'm looking at taking on a few uh sponsored clients in in the esport uh, or the, the gaming streaming space um but also my content is going to be quite heavily directed um or uh, different projects i'm working on are going to be directed um down that that line further because i think a lot of esports uh, athletes and streamers um over the next few years we'll start to see a lot of them actually truly understand the value of fitness in the same way athletes um you know at ufc athletes didn't used to lift weights until you know pretty recently martial artists didn't like lifting weights until recently um and apart from that i mean i've got my group um i've got my group training program called the fit talkers and if anyone wants to to work with me or you know either one-on-one or with the group coaching program we can um send me a message and we can look at doing that as well so other than that mate thank you i, I really appreciate you taking the time as well well good uh, no, my honor man uh just one more thing before i let you go where can my audience find you so you got your instagram and you said you had a youtube channel what's the name of your youtube channel everywhere you can find me at coach cat coach cat lovely Awesome. Thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. All the best.